Hi all dear listeners, welcome to the new episode of my podcast, A Digital Tomorrow. I'm joined today by Henry Arslanian. Henry is, as you know, a very famous uh, person in this uh, world of uh, cryptocurrencies, fintech, uh, DeFi. Um, Henry recently founded uh, the company Nine Blocks uh, Asset, uh, Nine Blocks Capital Management, sorry. And well, he is also uh, teaching at HKU. He has a, a podcast as well. He has like over 500,000 followers on LinkedIn. So he's, uh, he's written bestsellers as well. So I'm sure all of you know Henry already, but in case you don't, uh, well, um, here's Henry. So um, thank you very much for, for being here today. Thank you very much, Ariel, for having me. And thank you for listeners. I know you have a choice to what to listen. So thank you for listening and allowing us to share our passion for the future of money with you all. Well, I'm sure they, they're going to learn a lot from you. Um, today, I mean, it's only half an hour now, and I know that you could speak about these topics for hours and hours, but I wanted to start by asking you something like very simple. Uh, what's going on in the crypto industry? Because we all see the news now, what's happening in the media, and what, what the media are reporting about this industry. So um, what's happening? What's going on? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. I think for anybody who's been even minimally following the crypto industry, uh, especially the last November and December 2022, uh, will be seen as a you know almost catastrophic event in the industry. Uh, it's, of course, there was a sub couple of major events that happened throughout the second half of 2022: uh, the collapse of uh, the hedge fund uh, uh, Three Hours Capital, uh, even lending platforms like Celsius and Voyager but definitely the collapse of FTX uh, in November of 2022 was a major event. The equivalent of it would be, imagine if in the financial world that we have today, uh, a bank that is too big to fail almost, like Citibank or JP Morgan would go down. And of course, this had a lot of impact on the broader ecosystem. Of course, the obvious things like contagion for other players that had exposure uh, be imp impacted by it. But I would say the biggest impact that it have was a loss of trust. Trust not only between the, the users of the community, but also between counterparties in this ecosystem. Uh, thankfully, actually, things have improved since then. Uh, I would say from you know early, mid-January, uh, we started seeing now again some of the volume, the activity in the, in the, in the markets, uh, and driven by a couple of reasons, uh, part of the macroeconomic factors, are uh, really by driven by kind of uh, an understanding or a hope some of the bad events are beyond us, right? So, for example, the contagion now has been more or less contained. There's some pockets of uh, still risk in different places that we can talk about that. Uh, but really, it's been uh, like understanding of what has happened, what it is, what is the situation today, and kind of a more confidence on the on the future of crypto. It's very important to understand that what happened with FTX was the collapse of a centralized and regulated, by the way, player. There's nothing happened with blockchain, nothing happened with Bitcoin, nothing happened with Ethereum. The technology continued to operate completely as it should. And so did also a lot of the protocols like DeFi, decentralized finance, continue to operate exactly as it should. Uh, so I think it's been a very interesting, uh, welcome, well, not a wake up call, but also uh, proof one more time that technology did what it should to do. And actually, ironically, the failure in this case were some of the centralized players uh, that were actually regulated which is was something we, we talk a lot about uh, as a way to bring more trust and better risk management to the sector. Mm -hmm. um, well, following what you said now, um, many things came to, to my mind. Um, 
you mentioned this uh, loss of trust that happened uh, as a consequence of FTX. And well, um, I wanted to ask you as well uh, about um, um, how to regulate these areas, no? because uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I know that you started as a lawyer, same as myself, so we come from this uh, regulatory background. And well, some people said that, um, that many mistakes were made no, in FTX, even before in, with the case of Terra Luna. So um, given that cryptocurrencies are supranational and regulations are national or tend to be national in most cases, um, what do you think is, is lacking, is missing when it comes to regulating cryptocurrencies? Uh, again, uh, Oriol, I think it's a very good question. I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a lawyer by background, but also had the privilege uh, previous to launching this, this hedge fund, uh, I used to be the, the global crypto leader at PwC. And in that role, obviously, I had the privilege of uh, the, not only writing, drafting, reviewing, and working uh, with many regulators and uh, regulations and policymakers uh, around the world. And I've, I continue to train at to this day uh, many regulators who are entering the crypto space. Uh, let me be very clear at the start. I believe we need regulations in the crypto space. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Uh, and actually, I would argue the crypto industry, to the surprise of many, is one of the few industries that actively lobbies to have more regulations. We, and the reason is very simple is we want actually rules that we can operate with. We want a level playing field. We want to be able to operate like legal businesses, be able to open a bank account, hire people, get visas and so on and so forth. Now, of course, a crypto by its nature, not only as a new asset class, but also its global nature is very difficult to regulate. Uh, I think what we're going to evolve over the next, and there's been numerous attempts, you know, if you look from a country perspective, from a policy perspective, uh, things have changed over the last couple of years. In, in my latest book, The Book of Crypto, I kind of give the history of that. But if you think about it, some countries initially took a very negative stance to crypto. Some still do. China is a very good example. Arguably, India is another example. Uh, the vast majority of countries took a neutral approach, which is basically if it looks like a security, we regulate as a security. If it looks like a commodity, we regulate as a commodity, and so on and so forth. So a lot of big countries, I would say the majority, were in that neutral bucket. And then you had some countries that really opted with taking this really proactive, uh, sometimes positive, but proactive stance on regulating the crypto industry. In the early days, we had you know smaller jurisdictions like Gibraltar and Malta. Uh, then it moved on, probably some you know others are like like Bahamas to now more maybe let's say uh, others like the Dubai and others Abu Dhabi, uh, Singapore, uh, Switzerland who really nice tried to be become crypto hubs. In the case of Dubai, for example, they set up the world's first crypto specialized regulator, a regulator whose sole job, hundred percent focus is on the crypto industry. So there's been a different approaches being taken. Uh, which one is the right one? A time will tell. But for sure, the regulations are here to stay in crypto. The future that I envision from a regulatory perspective when it comes to crypto is one with centralized players, crypto exchanges, crypto custodians that are centralized. That will be regulated by various uh, regulatory regimes uh, you know, uh, around the world. But also they'll be in parallel this whole world of centralized finance. That would also operate by, by its own regulations, but the regulation, instead of being drafted by policymakers on pieces of paper, will be basically code. And actually, code, the code is law, and the code will govern those transactions. And similar to traditional regulations that are available to anybody to see uh, you know, online, uh, this code will be also available for anybody to be able to read and inspect and do what they want to do with it. So, uh, so I think the, the crypto regulations are here to stay. The form and shape that they take uh, may, may, may defer, 
Uh, but I think this is very positive for the crypto, for the future of the crypto industry. We need regulations. There's no doubt about that. No, I fully agree with you. I think this sector needs to be regulated and in order to create this level playing field that is very much needed in this uh, industry. And uh, you also mentioned before trust. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, we've been seeing this last few years, uh, many um, traditional banks, and then other um, traditional financial companies jumping into the wagon of uh, cryptocurrency, starting to, to invest in crypto, to offer crypto products. Um, and of course, whenever this kind of uh, events like the FTX crisis happen, uh, certain people tend to think whether uh, they did right, these banks or not. So how do you think um, like um, the laymen can regain their trust in the crypto industry? Um, what, what would you suggest in that sense? I mean, the, the, they will be, of course, now we're in a difficult period, right? But for sure, trust will come back in the crypto industry. Uh, and I think there's various ways this is going to happen. Uh, one of them is really by, uh, you know, they're having more regulations and being more oversight of the space. Again, I think it's very important to understand that what happened to FTX, based on the information that is available today, it looks like it was a straight up fraud. FTX could have been an exchange where they were selling uh, books, could have been an exchange they were selling tomatoes, uh, uh, sports card. What happened here was an old school example of whether you call it using client funds, whether you call it a Ponzi scheme, but this is fraud, right? And by the way, fraud is very, very difficult. It's easy in 2020. In hindsight, it's, it's 2020, but it's very dis difficult to do so when somebody's cooking the books. And we've had many numerous examples uh, from Madoff in the traditional financial world to the end runs of this world in public placing companies. So I think that's, that's one thing to understand. I think it, that's becoming more and more clear. People realize actually that nothing wrong with crypto. It was just one of the big players uh, that was purely fraudulent uh, from uh, from that perspective. Um, so I think that the, the, there will be more centralized regulations. There will be more centralized players that will make it easy to understand uh, for, for, for everybody as well. And then obviously there's some of the, the impact of time, right? Uh, people will kind of become, and you know, uh, get recovered from the shock. But I think the most important thing that would really regain trust in the space is increased education and awareness. It's people listening to podcasts like yourself, Oriol, where they get to understand what are digital assets, what is blockchain technology, what is Bitcoin, what does it work, what is an NFT, what is a CBDC. And I think like anything else in life, if there's something you do not understand, you are afraid, you know, you're, you're worried about it, you fear it. But as soon as you understand it, you get it, you actually uh, may still not like it, but at least you understand what it is. My message has always been to regulators, to central bankers, to CEOs of public companies, to boarders of big financial institutions, is that you may like Bitcoin, you may hate it. You may like crypto industry, you may actually think it's a massive scam. But I think you have this moral, intellectual, and also I would argue in many cases fiduciary duty to at least spend the time, the intellectual time, to understand what it is. Uh, and I think then you can make an informed decision. You know, I've been in crypto now since 2013. I organized my first Bitcoin event in Hong Kong in, in January 2014. At the time when I was trying to learn about uh, uh, crypto, it was actually very difficult. There was not the same amount of resources that you have today. Uh, you know, I've been teaching crypto in university since 2015. I can tell you 2015, I didn't have any material to give my, to my students to read. It was very limited. Right now, it's never been easier for anybody to come and learn about the topic. Even myself, you know, on, on, I have online courses on Udemy, for example, I have a 90-minute course for financial services professionals. I have books like uh, my latest book, The Book of Crypto. 
have audio, audio books. I have a lot of you videos on YouTube, like similar to you, for people to understand. So again, my message to anybody is this weekend on Saturday morning, instead of watching this stupid Netflix video or, or, or wasting your time on TikTok, uh, where, you know, actually maybe spend that time reading about the future of finance, reading about the future of money, and then you can make your own decision, but at least with the right level of knowledge. I, I fully agree with you. Um, first of all, I wanted to say to my listeners that uh, your book, uh, the book of crypto, is actually a great book, you know, the same as all the materials that you uh, produce, but uh, I fully concur with you. It was much more difficult a few years ago to learn about these areas. Uh, I myself um, got first exposed to crypto and DeFi in Hong Kong as well, back in 2015, thanks to a friend of mine who studied uh, the MBA with me. And yeah, I remember that back then, it was quite difficult to, to gather information. It was mostly what this friend told me and some information that I could gather online, but much of that was not that reliable. Now, now it's much easier because people can check their books, you know, your podcast, um, my podcast if they want as well. I mean, there are like so many materials to choose from. So it's um, now I think uh, it cannot be justified you know, that people invest in these areas without trying to learn first um, what they are doing, you know, because the, 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 the means for them to do so, to learn, exist no so it's all about uh, trying to to uh, to educate more and 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 make people aware that these resources already exist uh, absolutely and i think also the crypto community as well you know when i give these talks to the people in the crypto community uh, actually i think they have a role to play as well you know it's funny in crypto like other industries are niche we have a lot of our own terms from huddle to lambo to the moon and you know other even in crypto twitter could be quite a you know unique uh, venue as well I think the crypto community as well needs to do a better job in becoming more welcoming, right? Uh, for example, you know, I've been really being the bridge between traditional finance and crypto ecosystem for many, many years. Uh, literally, I mean, the, in the early days, I remember times where I used to get booed on stage when I, I used to talk about KYC AML is needed in crypto, right? In the same way, I, I remember being all literally kicked out almost on meetings of financial institutions because I used to bring up a topic of crypto. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, we need to do as a crypto community be a better job of being more, more welcoming and actually not immediately rejecting traditional finance, like being these bad wolves that are there to eat the sheep. You know, I think in many cases we need to have also spend the intellectual time to try to welcome and learn also from traditional finance. I think one thing that, that has become clear and I, you know, I recently published my 2023 uh, crypto predictions was actually we're gonna see more and more of the best practices of the traditional finance world enter the crypto world. And I think that's a great area where probably we can have the both ecosystems, uh, maybe not fall in love together, but at least cooperate and collaborate uh, more than we're seeing it today. Well, I actually wanted to ask you about your predictions uh, later, no, but um, um, I had uh, a similar experience to what you said now, no? this experience of talking to banks, and bringing up the subject of uh, DeFi and feeling like, like you were almost uh, going to be kicked out, kicked out from that meeting room just because you brought up uh, cryptos or DeFi. And well, I think um, it's possible now to bridge uh, both worlds, but I think it's difficult. It's difficult and requires like an effort from both parties because sometimes in the crypto industry as well, I've noticed many people who automatically like reject the idea of traditional finance, the idea of governments, regulations. So that makes things difficult as well. I'm not saying that, that it's only your fault. No, I think there are many things to, to, to work on. So um, how do you think uh, the walls of uh, traditional finance and, and DeFi, the crypto industry, could and should work together? Like, um, how do you foresee that their collaboration now and their future collaboration? 
I think, first of all, there will be a time when they look at this, maybe it's in 10 years, 15 years, where actually crypto and financial services will be one. In the very same way that literally 20 years ago, people could have a store and there'll be an e-commerce department or online sales and it will be completely separate. And now obviously it's all put together, right? So the same thing will happen in, in, uh, in traditional finance as well. Um, the, um, I think there's a couple of things. I think there's a message to the... I give to uh, often, I think in any financial institution, the change will happen either at the very top or at the very bottom. Uh, what I mean at the very bottom is today, if you're a young, fresh graduate, you're a young analyst at an investment bank. Uh, my advice I give to a lot of my students uh, on this topic is make it known that you like crypto, if you like it, actually, of course. You know, put on your desk a book about crypto, talk about it, it's because it's guaranteed you your financial institution will get into crypto. And when it happens, they will go to whoever in the organization knows this topic and they'll come to you. But also my message is open to people at the very top uh, because unless you create this atmosphere where you as a leader, you are intellectually curious, you are pushing your team to innovate and you are pushing to do the right thing from intellectual, fiduciary and moral perspective to try to understand this technology, uh, it's gonna be very difficult to have the, the rest of the organization follow, follow through. Uh, and I think this is often my message when I speak to CEOs and, and you know people at the very top, is you know maybe it's not the right thing for your organization, but again, it comes back to what we were saying before. Make sure that you have you are making the right decision with the right level of education internally. Where I, I normally spend less time on and uh, is people in the in the between. Uh, what I found in my experience is that you know if somebody has a comfortable job, they're doing a nine to five, they have a three four weeks vacations, a pension, they're going to retire in four or five years. Uh, why would you change rock the boat? If you have a high paying job in a bank today, you're doing even, even an industry that will disappear, whether it's custody, for example, or even a professions like your accountant, auditor, professions that will radically go through transformations, even lawyers, right? Or your compliance department at a, at a bank. Why would you bother going through the change, right? It's better to keep the status quo. And I think that's the area where completely, I, I don't personally even bother wasting time. I think organizations will not change. I think on a professional, personal level for the people in that, you know, uh, in, in that permafrost that we call it within financial institutions, I think it's it's wrong because not only do you think professionally you're not going to grow, uh, but you know the, we often underestimate the market of inefficiencies in finance and other industries still quite uh, quite broad. Case in point, we still use letters of credit, we still use fax in trade finance, for example. Uh, you have financial institutions in 2022, 2023 that still send faxes, they send letters. Um, which is absolutely incredible. Myself, uh, I'm in Dubai right now. Uh, Citibank, uh, you know, reached out to me yesterday because saying, ah, oh, we have issues with people who are working in crypto. And my answer to them was like, well, you have no problem giving credit cards to people who are selling real estate, doing other jobs. Why crypto? Like these are regulated industries, especially in Dubai, right? So I think, but again, that person doesn't care. We'll do his job at five o'clock on Friday. We'll go enjoy the weekend with his family, right? So that permafrost that you see will unfortunately exist everywhere uh, uh, right now and will be the case for some time. Uh, it's interesting that you brought uh, up uh, the topic of trade finance because um, that was actually one of the topics in which I was working. I published some some papers in, in journals in Europe and Asia about uh, blockchain in trade finance, trying to explain how these blockchain-based platforms like uh, the eConnect platform in Hong Kong, for example, and in many others, yeah. can actually yeah. help uh, the industry become much more efficient because we are talking about a, a very paper-based ba uh, industry nowadays, which depends on, on faxes and, and these kind of technologies that, that uh, 
are quite old and not that efficient no? in nowadays in 2023. So it's interesting that you wrote this app. And it's incredible, Oriol. So, sorry to interrupt, Oriol, but no, I mean, no, I think the, the trade finance industry, and I would say broader, the whole bill of ladings, the whole, you know, international trade is, is for me, always the example of why incentives are aligned. For example, you think how ships were, people put containers on ships, of shipping, it's completely inefficient. It would be a case study, but well, the incentives are not there, right? If you're a broker, you just want to fill up the ship, sell it out. If you're a guy working at a bank and the fact that you're still receiving facts is unacceptable, right? But that's the way it's always been. For me, the one answer I always said, if anybody gives me this answer, they fired on the spot, is it's, it's when somebody tells me it's always been like this. That is the answer. If you're a leader and you're literally not firing people or making sure that, that those words are never mentioned in your organization, that it's always been like this, you're doing something wrong. And trade finance, I mean, Oriol, as you know very well, is I find it unacceptable. And there's many other industries like that, by the way. I would argue many fields of compliance, of risk management, uh, finance are completely outdated, uh, not because of we don't have better technology or better tools, often for the because of the people that are there and the lack of incentives uh, for them to change. Indeed, indeed. Um, I wanted to ask you like uh, three more things before wrapping up. Uh, the first one is um, kind of related to what you said now about um, well, Citibank um, uh, saying that they didn't want to open these accounts you know, for, for people working in the crypto industry. And it's regarding this urban myth that um, there tends to be a lot of illicit activities in the crypto industry. If we actually read all those reports, for example, from Chainalysis and these kind of firms, we see that the, the percentage of illicit transactions in the crypto industry compared to the total of transactions is actually very low and it keeps getting lower and lower the more people become part of this market. So what would you say to, to those people who still believe in, in that myth that cryptos are mainly used for illicit transactions, for frauds, for scams? I think in the early days of crypto, 2012, 13, when Silk Road, yeah, crypto, I think, was being used predominantly for gambling purposes and notorious activities. Uh, it just has changed radically today. Uh, my advice I give to anybody is if you are looking at doing something illegal, illegal you're looking at buying drugs, launder money, evade taxes, do not use Bitcoin. You will get caught. Uh, I mean, as you know, Oriol, I mean, the crypto transactions are 100% traceable. If you're looking at doing something illegally, probably way better off using good old cash, which is genuinely not traceable from that perspective. Or what, what the good old lawyers do, setting up offshore companies, trusting different jurisdictions, or using diamonds and gold and stuff like that, right? So what I find very amazing for me is that, like you said, the total amount of crypto com coming from nefarious activities, broadly defined, uh, is less than 0.25%, right? And, and I put data for last year, it was in absolute terms, $10 billion. I mean, to put things in perspective, uh, in the traditional finance world, it's estimated that anywhere from 2 to 5% of global GDP is being laundered every year. That's $800 billion to $2 trillion a year, right? Uh, so I think it's, it's not even, uh, uh, I think you can launder probably, you know, like a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe a couple of ten thousand dollars, maybe a million in crypto. Uh, but any any significant amount, especially if it's a public event, you know, it was a hack or anything like that, uh, you're not going to be able to launder it. And we're seeing that, by the way, as we go along. So again, my message to anybody who thinks that is to once again spend a couple of minutes reading about crypto, understanding what it is, and I think then you can make your own decisions of what it is. I actually believe to the con, even at fortiori, if you think about it, that one of the biggest uh, dangers for crypto is that it is, it is too transparent. 
And I know, if, if you and if I send you a banking wire via Swift, for example, mm-hmm. uh, let's say from my business to your business, uh, actually it's pretty private. A part of the bank, nobody knows that the transaction took place. Um, imagine if we're operating in a crypto economy where you give me your public address and I pay you in stable coins, for example. Somebody that finds out your address could reverse engineer your business, could literally reverse engineer your financial statements. And I actually believe that one of the problems we're going to have in the in a foreseeable future is the fact that crypto, cryptocurrencies are too public. And actually, we're going to affect, we're going to see the limitations of that because of, of these reasons. And I think that we'll, one day, I think that we have a big topic now around privacy coins. I, I, I personally, at this stage of the growth of the crypto community, I'm actually opposed, not opposed, but say I'm not, a, I'm not in I don't, I don't encourage privacy coins, actually. Uh, but I really believe there will be a time in a couple of years where I think there'll be a whole debate where we say, actually, maybe privacy coin is something we should consider uh, because, obviously, it provides the same level of privacy and payments that we have in traditional finance in, uh, and we can have it in the crypto space on that perspective. So definitely, if you're looking at laundering or doing something illegal, do not use crypto. Uh, but I also to at the same time, this transparency that it provides, which I think will help its uh, its uh, adoption, you know, for the first billion users, uh, will maybe one of its drawbacks in the medium term from that perspective. I think everything uh, you said now is actually very interesting, um, and it's what you said. No, I mean the most non-traceable means of payment uh, remains cash, and it will be so, I think, you no know, forever. Uh, but also there are many other ways you know, for people to do illicit activities and crypto doesn't seem to be at all like the most uh, suitable one because of everything that you just uh, uh, said. And then following this, I wanted to ask you about uh, your crypto predictions for this year. Uh, I know that your crypto predictions are actually one of the most expected things from for your followers no, uh, every year um, because you are usually spot on or pretty much always. So what are your predictions for, for this year? Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I've been doing this crypto predictions since 2015, and I have to say I've been pretty much, uh, you know, generally quite on good. I mean, I didn't predict the FTX collapse, so I think that that could that change a lot of things uh, for for last year. But I think let's say two or three, and you, people can find this on my LinkedIn, on my Twitter, uh, and I, it's it's published there. But I would say some of the things that I've been I'm, I'm watching now is, uh, for example, some of the best practices of traditional finance that will enter the crypto industry. There's a lot of things that we have in TradFi uh, from SOC reports to IAC reports to AUPs, agreed upon procedures, to your financial audits uh, that I'm hoping will become more mainstream on this in, in 2023 in the crypto industry. And I think we'll have a kind of a, a gap between the players who are implementing as best practices and the ones who don't. And I firmly believe the ones who do will benefit from a business perspective. Uh, on the topic of CBDCs, I expect to see increased acceleration on this topic. Today, as you know, uh, around 90% of central banks are looking at the topic. Uh, I expect, you know, we have countries like the Bahamas, Nigeria, or China that are, that are live. I expect really the ex- ex- activity in the space to really, really accelerate. Uh, this is a, if you're a central banker today and you're not accelerating, you're not using this time of, of fear and disdain of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and, and the, some of the events that took place to accelerate your efforts, I think you're missing an opportunity. I think there'll be massive backlash against CBDC potentially, especially when it comes to privacy towards government in certain countries. But I think that's that's something that will be hopefully more debated uh, this year. And maybe another one that I think we'll see um, more and more is the usage of stable coins. Uh, really uh, what's been happening in the last bear market that we saw in the second half of 2022, was actually normally whenever we went to the bear market, we would see a flight to quality and people would move back to Bitcoin. 
but right now, actually, if you look at Bitcoin's dominance, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, let's say on early Jan, was around 40%. Uh, compared to 70% in previous bear markets. And really where we saw a lot of flight to quality was in stable coins. So I think we're going to see a lot of that happening as well. Uh, and then there's other, other things, you know, I expect to see Ethereum dominate in, in 2023. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for other layer ones to really gain a trust of users, especially after what happened with the association risk of Solana and FTX. I expect more regulations, which should not be surprising. Uh, maybe, you know, um, maybe the, what I... A uh, couple other things is uh, also like I think DeFi, uh, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of this recording, DeFi, despite all the problems that we saw in crypto last year, DeFi operated perfectly well, did what it should do. So I think, I think that's, that I expect to see more activity there, especially from even some regulated players, traditional financial players uh, on, on that perspective on it. And maybe I'll finish it off with, uh, you know, I think I expect to see metaverse, topic of metaverse becoming definitely more mainstream. I think every Fortune 500 company will have a kind of this metaverse strategy. Yes, a lot of it will be marketing, will be window dressing. But again, this is a really another step forward, uh, not only in only the metaverse, but also the broader Web3 ecosystem. We know we're having a lot of activity with NFTs, uh, with you know, bigger debates around Web3, uh, especially in certain verticals like gaming, for example. Mm-hmm. And I expect this to be catalyzed in, in, in the year ahead. So I'm very excited about the, uh, the year, year coming. I think it was a very uh, difficult period. Uh, I think the FTX uh, debacle has hurt, is hurting, and will continue to hurt the crypto industry, by the way. Uh, but I think that there's, at the same time, I'm amazed by the level of activity going on in different area verticals of the, of the broader crypto ecosystem. And that, again, for me, uh, makes it even more bullish, more bullish than ever on the future of the sector. Well, thank you, Henry, for sharing uh, your predictions, which, as I said, uh, are always uh, spot on. And before uh, wrapping this up, I just wanted to ask you one final question. It's about uh, your company. I mean, as far as I know, you moved from Hong Kong to Dubai and you founded uh, a Nine Blocks uh, Capital Management. You used to work at uh, PwC as their global crypto leader, but now you are uh, in this uh, project of your own. So I wanted to ask you, um, What's exactly your company? What are you doing? Uh, you could share sure. with, with my uh, listeners. Yeah, uh, Limebox Capital Management is an institutional grade uh, market neutral crypto hedge fund. So our goal was to rebuild really a leading asset manager industry. Basically our thesis is that a lot of institutional investors, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, from family office to fund the funds want to enter the crypto space. They may do equity investments, VC investments, which are easy, uh, but it, it's often more difficult for them to hold Bitcoin or crypto on their balance sheet. And often the way they would operate is to invest in managers who have the experience and expertise to look into this. And gradually over the next 10, 15, 20 years, they'll bring this expertise in-house, similar to what happened in the VC world, the PE world, for example. Uh, our strategy, you know, is obviously we're backed by a large Hong Kong hedge fund called Mass. Uh, they put the first $75 million in the fund, and we're a market-neutral fund, which means that we, we, you know, we try to generate alpha regardless of markets going up and down by, you know, by leveraging some of the inefficiencies of crypto markets uh, using a range of strategies from you know, base arbitrage, uh, funding arbitrage, across asset cross exchange. So really it's the idea is that regardless of markets going up and down, we're able to deliver these consistent returns. And we were obsessed about being regulated, being uh, you know, uh, putting in place best practices, operation due diligence, and trying to lead by example of where we believe the um, the future digital asset asset manager will be, and we try to kind of uh, pave the way from that perspective. 
it sounds great and i wish you uh, all the luck with this new uh, endeavor of yours and well uh, we are unfortunately uh, reaching the end of our episode i would like to thank you henry for your time and for sharing all this very interesting insight with my listeners Thank you very much, Ariel, and I really let's continue with the great work you're doing uh, from this perspective. And thank you for everybody listening. Again, if you want to uh, follow uh, my work, it's at, at Henry Arslanian, H-E-N-R-I, Arslanian, A-R-S-L-A-N-I-N. It's I have a LinkedIn page, Twitter page, YouTube page. I have a lot of online courses. I have my books, like you mentioned. Uh, but very, thank you very much for uh, having me, Ariel, and thank you very much for having the show, and for for everybody for allowing us to share our passion uh, of the future of money and finance. Uh, the pleasure is is mine, uh, Henry. And well, as you said, um, uh, please um, follow Henry because um, all his uh, books and podcasts and everything he produces is actually very interesting, very enlightening. So please uh, follow Henry as well. And thank you very much for having listened to this episode. And please stay tuned for the next ones. See you soon. Yeah.